Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Board Game Shenanigans podcast, where we review the games we've been playing and discuss board game-related topics. My name is Bob. And I'm Natasha. This week's episode, we are going to be taking a look at the Guild of Merchant Explorers, which is the best name a board game has ever had in the history of names for board games. Then we're going to be taking a look at Ink and Gold and Can't Stop. And then in the discussion topic, we are going to be doing Would You Rather Board Game Edition Part 3. What? what? But before we get into uh, any sort of games, I kind of wanted to take a second and talk about my experience with the campaign of Maracaibo. My wife and I played through the entire thing. And from the base box, I know there's some additional content in the expansion that we haven't done, but I just wanted to talk specifically about the campaign in the base box. Um, It goes by chapters and there's a deck of cards. And as you're completing the different cards and the objectives, because basically what will happen is you'll read a card and it'll give you a quest on the board that you have to complete. And if you complete the quest, then you continue on with the story. You each have to complete it. No, so the the way those work is specifically the cards, what they'll do is they'll have a, say, all right, put a quest on spot 15 or, you know, put these other quests on these other spots. But specifically what they'll do is have a story quest on a specific spot mm. and you have to achieve that quest in order to continue on with the story. So if you're not doing that, then you're not moving forward into the story. And a lot of times it's very similar to the normal quests within the game. I believe there is 11 chapters. It took us 11 games to get through it. Could you have gotten through it faster or is that the minimum amount that it takes? Uh, I don't know. I was very much invested in continuing the story. Mm -hmm. So there are moments when instead of doing quests, because you always, for the most part, you always have story quests. There's other things you can do too. So they have a bunch of legacy styles in the base game. And those legacy tiles will have different objectives on it. So I guess somewhat of a spoiler. Um, if you don't want to, if you want to play through it and you haven't, I'm going to probably spoil some stuff. So warning, spoiler, warning, spoiler. There you go. There you have it. So there's going to be certain legacy tiles that get placed, and it's going to be something along the lines of you give up one of your workers. You can remove or you can upgrade your ship by removing one of the discs and placing it on this thing. As soon as you fill it up, it advances another card within the story. So there's going to be a variety of things like that throughout. The story does give you options to pick from. So you might end up going to a port town and you're trying to find somebody and you have two options, either fight the pirates or sneak around the pirates, something along those lines. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of pick as a group and then you continue forward in the story reading a different card. Um, both my wife and I, when towards the very end, we were both ready for the game, the story to be done. Mm-hmm. You know, the campaign was a bit longer than what we really wanted. It was probably a game or two longer than it needed to be from my perspective. So the story was pretty generic. It wasn't overly cool. It was it was fine. The story was fine. What I liked the most about it is what they would add are these like legacy tiles. So it might say, all right, there's a storm brewing, brewing in this section. So you take this tile and you set it there. And now it takes three movements to pass through that specific lane. Or one of the bigger spoilers, again, 
is you can discover new cities to go to. So now you have these additional spots that you can go to as long as your explorer on the bottom track has reached certain levels. And that part I really liked. I really liked the fact that you had these legacy tiles and it affected the board and changed the board in a different way, giving you additional actions. Sometimes it would say, all right, now these cities you can't go to anymore because they're uh, the story has prohibited you from going to these cities. Well, you can go to them, but you aren't able to do, let's say, village actions or whatever. In that regard, I really like the legacy aspect. And moving forward, you can use some of those pieces within the games that you set up and play. But overall, the experience of the story and everything, the story was fine. I would give the story a 6 out of 10. Just It was pretty generic stuff. And then as far as the actual gameplay and adding the different things again adding those legacy tiles that's where what i really enjoyed the most and i enjoyed you know progressing the story and having these extra quests on there to be able to do stuff overall the experience was was solid i don't know if if somebody was like hey should i play the campaign i might be hesitant to recommend it because of the length Mm. they have to be really into maricabo then you'd recommend it if they were really into the game i don't think yeah i don't think the story was strong enough I don't think it's it wasn't definitely not necessarily pandemic legacy style or anything. I don't think it was strong enough. I It did add a, some additional cards. And again, those legacy tiles were really cool, but you can play that without the story. So mm. overall, I just wanted to jump on here and talk about it and just kind of say, hey, you know, it's not it's not one of those things that I think I would say, man, you have to play through the campaign. If you're willing to invest, you know, 10, 11 games in it, then I would say do it. If that's a bit too much, then I would say probably not. And again, for my wife and I, we were both towards the end, we were both ready for the story to be done. Mm-hmm. You know, it kind of drug on a little longer than it needed to. So, but that's uh, that's my uh, my experience with the uh, Maracaibo, you know, campaign. What games you've been playing, Natasha? All right. Well, this week we played um, the Guild of Merchant Explorers. It's a pattern movement network route building game it feels a lot like a roll and write even though there's no rolling and no writing um it's designed by matthew dunston and brett gilbert art is by garrett landman and it's published by alderac entertainment group and the game players are trying to collect the most money each player has a map in front of them with a shared deck of terrain cards that are revealed one by one based on the terrain revealed each player then places um on their board cubes that are connected to their starting cities or other cubes on the board you want to complete um areas on the board you want to cross the sea to new land and you want to establish new cities on the board you can explore capsized ships for treasure and create linked connections between location to score bonus points there are common objectives that can be completed by all players and those who complete At first, score the most points. At the end of the round, all cubes are removed from each board, leaving only the cities behind. So if you don't establish new cities, you'll be stuck in the same place starting again the next round. So you want to get out there and get those cities out so you can start the next round in a better spot. But you don't want to put them all out too soon because the longer you wait, the more points you'll score per city. What makes this game really exciting are these explore cards. So there's five basic explore cards. They're all the same for all the players, um, they get revealed each round. Um, some of them are like place three cubes on a line on a water train. And every round, these cards um, are exactly the same. But then there are these era cards that come up as well. So you get one in the first round. And then in the second round, you get the one and the two era cards. The third round, you get one, two, and three. 
And then in the fourth round, you get one, two, and three, and you get to do one, two, or three again, which is kind of fun. When the first level one era card is revealed in the first era, everyone draws two special explore cards, keeping one and then doing that cool explore action. Then in the subsequent rounds, when the level one era card is revealed again, you get to do that unique action again. The same thing will happen on level two and three. So by the fourth round, you have three unique explore actions that only you have and you get to do again, you know, throughout the, each round. Um, those special action cards that you only get to do are are so cool and they're so fun. Like the basic action's pretty boring, but these special ones that you choose each time are are really what makes this game a lot of fun. I agree a hundred percent. I went into this game not necessarily thinking much of it, mm-hmm. just because the name was pretty generic and it just with the cubes or whatever, and everyone kind of said, you know, uh, similar to a roll and write, but I really enjoyed it. And during the rules teach, when they were explaining how it was going to go, in my head I wondered, like, how are we going to be able to accomplish much if we're only being able to build so much on these different cards? So, like, one card you can only you can build in one mountain spot. That's it. Mm-hmm. The other card you can build on two planes. That's it. So in my head, I was wondering, how are we going to get anywhere on this little map? But those era cards put in some work, especially if you pick good ones. Mm -hmm. There's, I know a lot of times when I was, because you you take two and then you look at them and decide which one you want to do. And for me, in two of the eras, there was clearly a favorite or clearly a card that to me was better than the other one. So I just went that route. Mm-hmm. but you can definitely do some cool stuff with those cards and it gives each person that feeling of being unique, mm-hmm. which I think it's almost that player power ask that you're developing as the game progresses. So every game is going to feel slightly different because you're going to be getting different cards and doing these different things. Yeah, that really, I think is the heart and soul of the game is these unique cards you get to do and then anticipating. So they get shuffled up in the, you know, the error cards get shuffled up within the regular cards. So you kind of want to plan your moves out, but you don't know exactly when those are going to be revealed, but you know they're coming up and you know eventually you're going to get your error card to come up. So you want to set yourself up in a good position to where you can maximize the benefit of the card, you know, making sure you've got cubes in the right area so that you can lay the most cubes down. It's it's fun. And, and when you put a cube down some areas, you get coins. And so that's how you collect money. You get collect money by completing regions or um, points and money that way and then you also like when you find you know land on uh, sunken ships you get these treasure cards i didn't like the treasure cards so much because they were kind of wild like one might give you like what was it two coins and then another was like an item that was a set collection so if you collected a few of those items you get points so they were kind of all over the place i wish that you would like draw two and keep one you know so a little more choice there that'd be my only complaint i would agree those cards felt a bit too random mm-hmm. than they should because one of them is simply just placing an additional cube which honestly could be a very big deal it could swing you you know 12 15 points depending on where you put it mm-hmm. because if all of a sudden you connect those two cities together now you're gonna multiply those and get a bunch of points well sometimes it's that close just yeah. based on how the cards pull up. So this, a card like that can be worth a lot more than, oh, this one's just a couple of coins. And then that set collection aspect, 
is you get so many of these, you know, you'll you'll get exponentially more points. I I agree. I think drawing two, keeping one is slightly better because it then it it lowers the variance of what you're what you're drawing there. Just because the cards are so swingy, if they were more like uniform and more even, it wouldn't matter so much. But they're really kind of kind of all over the place. So I think drawing two or three and picking one would be better. But you could easily play that way. Yeah, it it was yeah it was a smidge more swingy than I felt those cards should be. Yeah, I know I've heard a lot of people complain about the artwork. It's kind of it's very beige. I love it. I love this artwork. I do too. Oh, that's exactly what I was gonna say. I like it is beige. It's like brown, beige, and green. But it's really, I don't know, I like the look of it. It feels classic. It's got that like old school map style to it. I like yep. it in, in a good way. I think it's really aesthetically pleasing. It is beige, but I like it. I don't know. It has a very, there's a there's another game by Grand Gamers Guild called Forgotten Depths, I believe. And it's a dungeon crawl game. And the artwork is very similar to that. I don't know. I I really enjoyed it. I like the the that style of artwork because it does feel somewhat more old school map making. It just yeah. I don't know. I really enjoyed the whole aesthetic of the entire thing. I know people. Mm-hmm. I've heard the same thing. People didn't necessarily like the look of it. I don't know. I dug it. I liked it quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And it comes with a few different maps you can play. So there's some more variability with the maps. Um, yeah, I like it a lot. I feel like it's a little bit bigger of a game than what it actually is like to me it feels comparable you know i compare it to rolling rights i compare it to fleet the dice game or three sisters like it's a pretty meatier for a rolling right but it's but it's not like a big heavy game either so i feel like i feel like if it came in a smaller box like a little bit smaller footprint it would be like man this game is super awesome i really really like it but because it feels like it or it kind of looks like it's supposed to be a bigger, heavier game, then it kind of makes me go, oh, it's it's not like, I mean, it doesn't seem worth 50 bucks, I think is what a MSRP is. Yeah, it is probably a bit high, but it's also, it's compared to being a roll and write. But mm-hmm. part of the reason why it's not a roll and write is because you have to retract your routes every round. Mm-hmm. If you didn't retract those cubes, then it probably very well could be simply just a bunch of laminated sheets and you just cross off where you've been. In mm-hmm. this particular case, you can't, right? And Because you, right. you're recreating routes every single round. It feels like a roll and write because because you're taking your cubes out there. You could be marking them out, but it can't be because you've got to pull them back. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, yes. no, I agree with you. Yeah, but I'd, uh, I don't know. I This is one of those games that, for me, hits this real nice sweet spot of what I'm looking for when I'm trying to figure out a puzzle because it gives you, you have enough information later on in the rounds to start planning your moves better. So mm-hmm. every round you shuffle those cards, you pull a card. Okay, my mountain spot's done. All right, I'm going to put a mountain spot. Okay, my three uh, water spots are done. Okay. And then it starts getting down your to a point where there's three cards left. You're looking at your board. Okay. If I get this one, then I can do this, and then I can I can attach it here, and then then this error card is going to come up, and I'm going to be able to do that. And it it gives you just it hits this nice sweet spot for me of where it makes my brain think in this puzzle, but not too much. Like it's not so overwhelming, at least for me. It just it hits this 
perfect spot that I'm looking for for a game like this. Mm-hmm. And yes, it the the box the box. You know what? The, the box, unfortunately, it is the MSRP is fifty bucks, but I think overall it's right in line with some of the other a lot of other games that are in that price range. I've you know I feel like because you're getting a ton of cubes, you're getting a lot, you're getting cards. The cards are pretty solid quality. Yeah, I think the box is the same size as the maps too, so you couldn't downsize the box because you wouldn't want to fold those maps. Well, you could have folding boards, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. It's one of the, the box size. I guess we'll spoil slightly. You know, we've decided next week we're going to talk kind of in the discussion about box size because that's kind of come up a lot lately for us specifically. Mm-hmm. But uh, compared, yeah. so com- I think it's not just the box size. It's like the the heaviness of the game is what I'm thinking. So yeah. like compare it. You compare it to a Roland right? I think it's one of the best. I would say this would be like one of the best roll and writes. It's it's really puzzly. It's it's probably what an hour long, so it's nice and yeah. meaty, you know. And if you if I compare it to that, like I think I'd rate this game like an eight or nine. But like comparing it to maybe like a heavier, like a um not a heavy, like a medium euro, mm-hmm. it it just kind of feels really simple, right? So then I'm oh. like, oh, it's probably like a seven, six or seven compared to that. So I just I kind of struggle with the way I'm with the way I'm rating it, like, do I, how do I rate it on its own? I guess. I, that's a good question for me personally. I'm well, I'll, let's get into ratings then for me personally, I'm going to give it an eight out of 10. I really liked it. I played it and instantly in my head, I go, man, I really need to pick this game up. Cause we didn't actually, I didn't actually play, you know, a, a copy I own a friend brought it in. We played that copy, but I enjoyed it enough where I wanted to pick it up because I liked it that much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I like it a lot. Um, I just think it, it just feels like it should be a big game, and it's not. And so I think going into it, knowing it's like a the the right weight, knowing what you're getting into, I think it really helps manage your expectations. What about like take okay, so take a game like Quacks of Quedlinburg, which is mm-hmm. similar in box size. That one is not necessarily like a super meaty game. No, but it feels like there's just a lot more going on in that game. Yeah. Okay. Maybe. Simple. I think the rules, the, overall, the rules are simplistic. Yeah. I think that's what it is, is it's very streamlined gameplay. So it's a lot like, a, you know, take a Century Splendor, you know, those types of, you know, Baron Park, those streamlined games. Mm-hmm. And you take those. But well, way more puzzliness to it. This one's way more interesting. I would play this one over any of those. Well, and that, but that's what I'm saying is the actions themselves are simple. You pull a card. Okay, you have a mountain. You have to explore a mountain. All right, cool, easy, right? Mm-hmm. But the aspect of doing it and what you want to connect to, and the, you know, you have those goal cards, and trying to connect those all pieces together it creates such a nice, like, crunchy puzzle that I that really just hits my brain in a really good spot. Mm-hmm. No, I see what you're saying. Simple gameplay, very few things to learn, but a lot of decisions to be made. Yes. No, I agree. I would also rate it an 8 out of 10, I think. I, I really liked it. I liked it a lot more than I thought I would. Like, especially as we were playing it, I was like, ooh, ooh, this is funner than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, I didn't think I'd be able to accomplish anything, honestly. I was going through it, and I'm like, how the heck am I going to get anywhere? Mm-hmm. And then you start building those outposts or those those towns, and you're like, okay. And you start branching from those and connecting stuff. Yeah, I really like this one. Yeah, if you like puzzly games, um, you were looking for... Uh, 
like a light, uh, medium weight, maybe, um, hour long game. I would definitely recommend this. This is the Guild of Merchant Explorers. Next up, I want to talk about Ink and Gold or Diamant, which is what it was previously called. This is a push your luck game designed by Bruno Ferduti and Alan Moon, published by Eagle Griffin Games. In this game, players are explorers trying to acquire the most gems and artifacts. They do this by exploring five temples and trying to leave before they are overcome by hazards. These five temples represent the five different rounds in the game. The main mechanic in this game is going to be push your luck. Players will decide simultaneously whether or not to leave the temple, taking some of the treasure they found on their way out, or continuing on. All of the gems, artifacts, and hazards are represented through a quest deck. At the start of each round, one additional artifact card is added into the deck. The players then flip the top card and then decide if they want to stay or go. If players flip a gem card, gems are divided evenly among the players and any remaining gems are placed on the card. So, for example, let's say there are four players and a 10 gem card is revealed. Each player gets two gems and then two gems would be placed on that card. Then they could also flip a hazard card. If it is the only hazard of the kind, nothing happens. But if it is the second kind of that hazard to get flipped, the round ends immediately. All players still in the temple lose all the gems they have gained while in the temple. So what happens when players decide to leave? Well, if it is the only one player to leave, they will take all the gems left on any gem cards and any artifact cards that have been revealed. They place them in in their tents, hidden from the other players, but more importantly, safe from busting. If more than one player leaves at the same time, no artifacts are taken, and players have to split the gems that are left on the cards evenly. Uh, Whatever they can't split evenly stays on the card. This play continues until all players have either left or players have busted. You add up all your gems and artifacts, and whoever has the most points wins. I think what makes this game fun is the quick, simultaneous push-your-luck. This game is fun. It's silly. I don't think it necessarily takes itself too seriously. It's just kind of a fun, quick, push-your-luck game. I think the heart and soul of this game is when to leave. Obviously, that's true for all push-your-luck games, right? But this game, it's not obvious when to leave because like, all of a sudden, it's really obvious. Okay, there's a pile of gems there. There's an artifact there. I want to leave because I want to get the artifact. But everybody else is thinking the same thing. So if more than one person leaves, you split everything or you don't get that artifact and you don't get that artifact at all so this game is all about being the only one to leave yes (laughs) you know yeah yeah that's the it's so much more interesting than i had heard so many good things about this game and had never played it how have you never played this game that's what i can't believe I, i haven't played it until just this last week and man was it fun and it was all about being the only one to leave you don't want to be the you don't always want to be the first one to leave because you could th- things could still come up good, but you often bust a lot too. I don't yeah. know. It was just it was a it was just a riot. It was so fun and like um, seeing everybody like the st- st- different styles. Like some people were like, "No, I'm staying, 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 always staying," and they always busted. Like the first game we played, I think it was you and and another buddy of ours, like zero points. Because <laughs> you I guys mean, maybe. always that stayed, might... you always busted. <laughs> that may have that may have happened. We were in it together, me and him. We you we you got were in it end. and you died together. But oh, I think the, God, we played so three fun. games in a row, and then the last game, you you finally caved and left with a few yeah. points. Well, I he was tired st- of 
I was tired of like getting zero points. <laughs> he stayed in it and he finally had the big payout and they won up in the game and we still had another round to go and now everyone had to push the luck to beat him. And it was so fun because because he busted like every other time, like literally zero points the first game, zero points the second game. Finally, it worked and it paid off. And it, and it's really wild in that sense, like what comes up or what you get and how soon you bust. It's really wild, but it's so fun. It, there was this like moment of cheering that we had for him. So, yes, uh, our buddy Tom and I decided in the first game because we were so far behind, we were in it. We were either going to both win or we were going to have zero points. It did not matter. So we kept staying in there and kept staying in there and kept staying in there. And the the big payoff is we talked about revealing those gem cards. You split it evenly. Mm-hmm. What I didn't necessarily mention is you split it evenly with who is left in the temple. So for that 10 gem card, if there's only two people, each person gets five, even mm-hmm. if there's four players in the game. And it got to the point where the highest gem card, I think, is 18. Mm-hmm. And everyone left, and he was still in there. He's like, all right, flip it. We f- He flips the next card. It's the 18. So he gets 18 gems. And mm-hmm. then it's up to him to decide, am I staying or am I going? He wanted to stay. I know it. But he had... He had to reveal a lower one plus the 18. I'm like, you got to, you got to stop. Just stop. And he did. <laughs> and he ended up winning the game. It was, it was a riot. <laughs> What's cool about a game like this is, like I said, it doesn't take itself too seriously. And it's always just fun, especially mm-hmm. when you have a good group. You know, these types of games, you're not going into it expecting to strategically win the game. You know, it's it's one of those things that it's just fun to play, see what happens. Sometimes you push your luck. Sometimes you leave. Sometimes, you know, you get lucky and are the only one to leave. Sometimes you're not lucky. It's nice and small. Like, it's just a little small box. doesn't take up a lot of space. It plays up to eight people, and it's fun at a large number, you know, because as people start leaving, it gets smaller and smaller. Uh, it's really, really a lot of fun. And I think it would go over great with people who don't typically play board games either. I think it'd be just as fun. Yeah, because it's it's uh everyone has that idea of like pushing your luck and seeing how far you can go with something until you bust, right? Mm-hmm. It's a very common concept. So, and it's you know even the hazards or whatever are kind of kind of comical. There's zombies, there's rock falling, there's fire, there's snakes, and it just yeah, it's it's just silly fun. Mm-hmm. Silly fun is the best way I can describe it. What would you rate this game? Oh man, I think like a nine out of ten. I really liked it. Dang. Okay, I'm not. I mean, I'm not that high, but uh, I think for what it is, I'm trying to like on its own. You know, not compared to like yeah, there's games that are like better, well designed. But for a a light little push your luck game, nine out of ten. Yeah, I'm giving it a seven and a half. I really, I really like it. It's yeah. I keep coming back to it was. It's just fun. Anytime I've ever played this, it's just, it's just we everyone at the table. Is always laughing, having a good time. You always tease the person that's busted, and mm-hmm. then you're they're always like, "Just wait until I stay longer, and I finally do it." And then you know you have a buddy like Tom who finally does it, and you and know everyone's cheering like, "Yeah." yeah and just, then when you when you do leave the temple early, then you're anticipating like, "Oh, I hope they don't get more treasure," and you're like, "Bust, bust, bust, bust!" It's so fun. Yeah, especially if they do get a decent payout, you're like, "Yeah, keep going." 
and hope that they bust. Yeah, because you want to win. Yeah. You can have games that you end up with, everyone ends up with just a few points and the winner has like, you know, three or four points because everyone's busted so much. It's It's fun. It's an interesting variance because you can have games where the winner has like 40 points and then you Mm -hmm. can have games where the winner has like 12. Yeah. You know, has like six points and it wins just because there was one game we played where I think the first like two or three rounds, everyone busted because it was like three cards in and we busted and we're like, Mm -hmm. all right, well, like you just can't. (laughs) That's, you know, them's the breaks. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Then people start um, pulling out earlier and yeah, it's fun. Yeah, it affects future temples because as soon as you get a couple point, a couple of gems, you're like, you know what? I think I'm going to book it out of here because two points might actually <laughs> win this game. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I would definitely recommend giving this game a try if you like push your luck games. You know, this is definitely one of the, I think, one of the better ones that is Ink and Gold. All right. Next up, I wanted to talk about, um, it got reminded me of another push your luck game that I really like, and that's Can't Stop, which is also... A push your luck game it's designed by sid saxon um it's published by parker brothers it's got like s- seven or eight artists listed which i don't understand because there's literally no art in the game there's a box cover design and that's it and you know who the artist <laughs> the first artist that comes up clemens franz yeah it sure is <laughs> it's like I love it. it's like it looks like a parker brothers game it does not look good at all no it's yeah it's a, they could yeah there's literally no art in the game. It's just a stop, like this plastic stop sign. So in this game, players are trying to be the first to reach the top of three um, number columns. They do this by rolling four dice. So you take your four dice and you you add two of them together and the other two together to get two two numbers that are either between you know two and 12. So let's say I roll a one, a five, a six, and a three. I can add them up, either the one and the five together and the six and the three. So I could do six and nine. Or I could do 4 and 11 or 7 and 8. So I choose any of those two number combinations and I I advance on that track. I take a temporary little marker and advance on that track. And then I pick up the dice and roll again. And then I, whatever my numbers are there, I add them up and I can advance on those. I can advance uh, those two numbers. So I you get three numbers total. So if I've already got two on the board, then I um, if I roll two sets, sets of different numbers i would pick one of them so let's say the second time around i rolled three or four or one and six so i could do a seven and a seven i add the, the three and the four and the one and the six is seven and seven so i could move the seven up twice or you know there's a four and a nine or a five five and then or sorry five and nine and four and ten so then i could either pick let's say the last time i had picked six and nine so this time if i choose the five and nine i would put one on the five and i'd move my nine up again in one more spot or i choose the seven and just do the seven twice and you then you pick up your dice and roll again. And then as long as now I've got three numbers committed, let's say I've got the the five, the six, and the nine going. Now I ha- I once I roll those four dice again, I have to get a five, six, and nine combined, right? Not just one dice, but combined, the two dice combined. And if I do, I get to move those again. But if I don't roll it, I bust and then I lose all my progress and I lose those temporary markers. So if you but if you stop wherever you're at, those three temporary markers, you place your your markers there and you permanently get to keep them in that spot and what's cool about this is it's shaped with a little stop sign so the two and the 12 you only have to go up three spots to like claim that that uh, row but like the sevens in the middle so you have to go up like the most i don't know how many it is but it's a lot more and you know and then it kind of progresses down based on you know the likelihood of rolling it so it kind of depends on what you are going for so if i'm going for like 
six, seven, eight, I'm very likely to roll. I'm going to keep going quite a bit before I stop. But if I've got like a two or 12, maybe a three or 11, you know, one spot up the track is pretty good. I might decide to hold and not continue rolling because it's unlikely I'm going to roll those dice combos again. And man, is that a lot of fun. What makes this game so much fun is the push your luck part of it. Um, but there's still a lot of strategy about what numbers you're going to pick. Yeah, because you wonder if, should I just do that 12 real quick just to kind of push up this one thing? Because I only have to do it two more times. Mm-hmm. And then, but man, I have that seven that I've been climbing. But maybe I'll, I don't know, maybe maybe I'll just, I don't know, maybe I'll do the 12. And mm-hmm. then inevitably you do the 12 and then you don't go up the 12 anymore the rest of the game. Yeah, you never roll again. The best way I can describe going up either the 12 or the 2 is in Space Base. There is that one tile or that one card that if you roll it like twice, you automatically win. No ifs, ands, or buts, right? Uh It's one of those things that you do it in the hopes that maybe you'll do it, but it's Uh unrealistic that you're going to do it. But man, when you do it, ah, it feels so good. possible because you're rolling four dice so all you need to do is get two sixes or two ones so it's totally possible when i play so i play this game a ton with my son i always go for the the high probability numbers i always go for six seven eight in those range and my son always goes for like the two three eleven twelve like always (laughs) because he gets super excited when he gets to roll those and it's so fun we both like win pretty much equally it's you know it just kind of depends on how you know how on how many times you keep rolling if you bust i don't know there's just something special about some of these older push your luck games that i think is hard to capture now something like quacks is the like closest that's probably been similar and feel because like you said there's still quite a bit of things to think about Mm -hmm. in can't stop it's very much deciding what to do with those dice do mm-hmm. I go for the 12? Do I go for the 11? Maybe I just, maybe I do one of those and then I just climb up seven. Because if I, if my three numbers are six, seven, eight, honestly, more often than not, when I have those numbers, I'm busting because I just keep rolling until like I, until mm-hmm. I'm about to win. Mm-hmm. And and two people can go up that same track. So if you know somebody's already up to the near the top, you might avoid that number because what's the point? They're going to get there anyways. Once they get to the top, that number is now closed off. So as yep. you get throughout the game, if you captured seven, then I rolling sevens don't do you any good. So now all of a sudden your rolls like, are just kind of harder to get because you can't, if you roll, let's say you end up with two sevens, you can't use them at all. Yeah, because they're done. Yeah, mm-hmm. because that, that row is... And I, it has this escalation piece that I think that is incredibly smart how they do it because it closes it off. Yes, right? So it's not mm-hmm. the first person to climb three as soon as that's done. So it's in the first rounds of the game, somebody could be rolling dice for a decent amount of time. And it's just the slow around the table, methodical around the table. And then all of a sudden, it just starts getting a little bit faster and a little bit faster and a little bit faster as soon as those things start getting taken up. So if you have four players... Five, six, seven, eight are all claimed. Those rounds start speeding up pretty quick because those are gone. You could you easy can't, bust you, the first roll. Yeah. Yeah. And well, you technically can't bust your first roll, can you? I mean, you yeah, could. you could if you if you rolled like let's say you rolled four sixes and twelve was taken. There's you can only take two sixes. Fair enough. Yeah. Okay. You know something like that. You roll. Yeah, you can totally bust. 
so yeah, I don't know. It's it's a smart decision because it has this nice build up and build up and build up and it's faster, 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 and then finally somebody just wins. Mm-hmm. It's you quick know? too. I mean, yep. it's a super simple game, four dice, simple board. That's it. But it is so fun. Really, type of game anybody can play. It's you know, fifteen minutes, quick, a lot of fun. I played it a lot on my phone too. I got it, the app. It was pretty good. Um, you can play pass and play there or play with the AI. It's really good. It was like a dollar, but that was a long time ago, so who knows what it is now. I think it's the first game you play when you sign up for Board Game Arena. I think it's the first game they like have you play. Mm, to use it? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. They they teach you how to play Can't Stop. It's like one of the first games. I like this game a lot. I think as far as Push Your Luck go, it's just super simple, straightforward, but man, I could just play it like over and over and over again. I give this game, I mean, 9 out of 10. Really, really good game. I'm giving this one also a seven and a half out of 10. I like it as well as a game like ink and gold. I think for me, the two, the, the two differences for me specifically, I guess to kind of compare the two ink and gold is very much a, it is a social deduction, push your luck game mm-hmm. because I don't know how many times we were sitting there and I go, Oh, you better, you guys better watch out. Natasha's leaving <laughs> and just playing these mind games with people. Mm-hmm. And can't stop is very much a. It's yeah. It doesn't have that. It doesn't matter so much what other people are doing, other than like the, what they capture, right? Because that affects you. Yeah. It's it's. I think ink and gold is more fun. I I like the theme of it a lot more. Can't stop. There's no theme. It's just the dice roll, but it's so simple and still so good. Yeah, it, they're they're they they feel very different, even though they're both push your luck games. You know, and I think Can't Stop is great for young kids. You know, they, there's some addition there that's just good for them. And yeah. Teach them the mathematics. Yeah. It's just simple. And it's good because it's so simple. Ink and Gold is really simple too. But there's just, a, I think it's a little bit more thrilling and fun experience. Where Can't yeah. Stop is, is is just different on that aspect. I don't know. Have you ever played Farkle? No. Farkle is a lot of fun. Push your luck game too. My mom got me into it. She plays with her friends and she got it for my daughter for her birthday. And we've been playing that a lot too. And it's an older game and it, it um, you just have six dice that you roll. And if you roll something with po- that gives you points, you get to keep set those dice aside and you can keep rolling. Um, but then the less dice you have, the less likely you're going to score points. And, um, the, the trick is then if you use up all six of your dice, you can pick them all back up and continue rolling and you can get this really awesome turn and then you're like, okay, I'm going to stop and take my points. But then what makes it really fun is the person to your left can kind of pick up where you left off. So you might stop. You only have two dice left. You're not, not likely to roll anything that's going to give you points, but they can pick up those two dice and roll them. And then take the points that you had. You'd still get your points, but then they would also get those points. Like, let's say you ended your turn with 3,000 points. Then if they do happen to get really lucky and roll something that gives them points, they get 3,000 points plus the points that they just rolled. And they stop. And then the next person after them, it was like, oh, there's still one more dice left. And you're like, the only thing you can roll is a one or a five to get you points. And they have to roll a one or a five. But if they get it. Then they get all those 3,000 points. And then now they've used all six dice. They get to start the whole thing over again and add on to those points. So it's just kind of a cumulative. It's totally 100% pure luck about what you roll. But the strategy is all about 
going as far as you can because you're leaving those two dice behind or one dice behind. Like if you leave a three or four dice behind, somebody's going to pick that up and take all those points you just earned as well. Get those points as well. So you got to not leave them any dice to, 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 you know, kind of pick up where you left off. And the strategy is all about when to stop. And that's really fun too. I like Farkle, but you don't need to buy it. You can just get six dice and you can look up the rules online. That's all you need is those six dice. Yeah, that sounds pretty cool. It's it's fun. It's another can't stop similar like, you know, it's classic game. It's it's simple. Like it's really just all about what you roll, but the strategy is all about when to stop, right? Yep. And I I like them. They're fun. They play play great with kids and families. You know, people who aren't into board games, you know, they'll like these games. They're not complicated. They're just they're just a really fun time. I highly recommend can't stop. And I recommend Farkle too if you want to you know, figure out how to play online. I wouldn't buy it or anything, but if you're looking for a good can't stop game, a great game to play with your family, you know, kids, grandparents, I think it works really well for just about anybody that's can't stop and Farkle recommend them both. All right. That's going to wrap up the games we've been playing this week. We are going to take a quick little break, but when we come back part three, would you rather Natasha's got some questions this time that I don't even know about. So this should be a good time. (laughs) See you right after the break. We are back and it is time for us to do part three of Would You Rather Board Game Edition. What, what? <laughs> All right. So we're back at it. Would you rather this time Natasha's got a couple questions that I don't know about. So this time I'll be answering some questions I don't know. So why don't we get started? Natasha. Let's hear one of these questions. All right. Um, would you rather own 10, 10 out of 10 games, your your personal 10 out of 10, right? Or 100, 8 out of 10 games? Oh. That's it. That's all you own is the 10 games. So t- 10 games or 10 games that are my 10 out of 10. Uh-huh. Do you even have 10 out of 10 games? 10, 10 out of 10 games? I don't know how many games you've given a 10 out of 10. Like Great I don't Western think Trail. So. Yeah, I don't think so. Okay, so I'll say like nine out of ten for you. Nine out of ten is more common for me. Mm -hmm. I say say, okay. Let's say you had ten out of ten. The highest, the top ten games for you, whatever they would be. Got it. Yeah. Or you could have a hundred, but they're all eight out of tens, or like seven and a half out of tens. I was debating. You can't do that. You can't do. Okay, seven or an eight. You gotta tell me. You gotta define that because that changes my my thought process behind it. Uh, I want it to be like okay games. So games you enjoy playing, I'll say 8 out of 10. All right. I'm going to take the 100 8 out of 10, I think. You would. Yeah. So, uh, man, I but don't- But 7 out of 10, you think you'd go with your, the 10, 10, 10 out of 10? Ooh. Would I do 7, 100, 7 out of 10s? I think I would still take the 100 7 out of 10s. I think I want variety. I think at the mm-hmm. end of the day, I want variety. If you told me they were 6 out of 10s, I'd be like, hell no, I'm going to take the 10 out of 10. I think mm-hmm. 7 or 8 is that. Is that sweet spot where, yeah, I would take them? Because that's the thing. Most of the games, <laughs> thinking about rating real quick, most of the games that I'm rating, very rarely do I give 10s. It's just like this n- number of games can't achieve for me for whatever <laughs> reason. But there, I give plenty of 8s and 9s. More specifically, I think my the most range I'm going to have is between 7 and 8. You know, we just talked about ink and gold. You gave it a 9. I gave it a 7.5. 
I think it's a good mm-hmm. game. I think it's worthy of staying in my collection. I think it's one of those games that, you know, I'd want to keep and I would enjoy playing and I would bra- bust it out and play with people. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to, I think I'm going to have to take, I think I'm going to 100 games. I'm going to 100 games. Bye, Great Western Trail. Sorry. Bye. Bye. Oh. <laughs> Bob loses like one game because he doesn't rate anything 10 out of 10. <laughs> <laughs> That's the problem, right? Like, I you wouldn't have 10. You got a few 9 out of 10s, though. I wouldn't have ten. I would. I would more likely say my top ten list. I, that would yeah, probably that, be more accurate, but that's mm-hmm. how I would approach it. I would keep my top ten games and get it. I would be happy, be fine getting down to ten games. Only ten games, only because I have so much access to so many other games through my friends and stuff. And if somebody came over and wanted to play a game with me, I mean, I'd love to play um, my ten all my favorite games. Although. I have a lot of friends that I play with that don't typically play a lot of board games. So like my 10 out of 10 that I play all the time, I'd probably get really good at it. So that would be a negative to that. I would need some games that I get because I don't bust outside with my casual friend, my friends that play casually. <laughs> that wouldn't be very fun for them. <laughs> that you would just be constantly beating them in a, in a game that you love. Uh-huh. Yeah. But I would still choose that because I would rather have fewer games that I love, you know, because sometimes I look at my shelf and I'm like, like, oh, we could play this. And I'm like, nah. well, then why do I own it? If I'm sometimes like, nah, I don't feel like, you know, with the games that are in my top 10 or even like, let's say the 10 out of 10 games, Bob's 10 out of 10, which is like nine and a half and higher. I don't typically play them all that frequently. Mm-hmm. And part of it is because. I don't want to get bored with the game, I guess, is the best way to describe it. So take uh, Grand Austria Hotel. For This is a prime example, okay? A bunch of episodes ago, we talked about culling a collection. We talked about board game collections. Well, I have started the process of putting games that I want to cull, and one of them is Grand Austria Hotel, okay? Yeah. And I love that game. It was a top 10 game for me, but I play it a ton on Yukata. I probably am at any point playing it at least once a week, okay? And it's gotten to the point where I don't know if it's still going to remain that high on my list, and I don't know if I'll ever play the physical version because I've played it so much online that I don't know if when I sit down to play with somebody, if I'm going to be like, let's play this game that I play a ton online. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to spoil a game that I love by playing it a ton of times. So something like Great Western Trail, I'll play four to six times a year, I would mm-hmm. say. And I love the experience every time I play. And that game is as game <laughs> that game yeah. is on on Board Game Arena. I don't play it on there. Yeah. Because I don't want to. Because I don't want to get to the point where I don't want to play my physical copy. Cause I enjoy mm-hmm. that game so much. Yeah. I'm kind of disappointed that you guys play that game so much because then when we did play it together like I sucked at it because you guys play it so much you're so good at it too or like you don't want to play it in real life very much and yeah that's disappointing that's the problem though with playing games online is you play them so much I think they work great for games that your game group doesn't like but if your game group likes them I think you I avoid them I don't play side like I don't want to get that good at the game I think that's a lie really I think you just I think you just lied you do want to get good at that game. No, it's not fun. Like I like to get just as good as my opponents, right? I like to I want me and my opponents to grow together. 
If I'm the only one who's learning that game and I just dominate, that's not fun either. Yeah, I so take so take Scythe because it's both we both rated Scythe a ten. So that's going to be the one game where the two of us are going to feel very similar. I've seen the app on my phone a handful of times as I'm looking through the app store, Mm -hmm. and every single time I was like, "Man, I should I should really snag that," and then I just don't. Nope, I don't play that one online either. Because I don't want to spoil that experience. Mm-hmm. So, you know, again, great, you know, Grand Austria Hotel is one of those examples. You know, my wife has veto power over the games we get rid of. And she even saw that game. She's like, why are you getting rid of this? You love this game. And that's what I told her. I've played it so much online. I don't think I'll ever play the physical version. Mm-hmm. If I want to play it, I can just play it online. I'll play something else when we get together. Very rarely I'm going to bust that game out just because I've, I want to experience something different. Yeah, I try not to play games online that I really love. I try to play games online that I don't get to play in real life. For sure. Yeah, I would agree with that. Okay. Would you rather play your least favorite game, but you get to play your color, or play your favorite game, but somebody else gets to play your color? (laughs) This is a game for you. This is a question for you, Bob, because I don't have a color. I could care less what color I am. (laughs) This I wouldn't is, even care. I would definitely so want to like my game that I like. Oh, so true. I've tried to get better over the years. So I play green. Okay, let's just be honest. Let's just I I don't know for whatever reason I just I that's my color to play. And if that's not available, then I'll try to like pick purple or something along those lines. I refuse to play yellow. I will not I uh, like I would almost walk out of a game than what? play yellow. Yes, I just have a disdain for the color yellow. People, it's that and is it's so prob- bizarre. It's not though. If you like, if you knew who growing up, um, if you knew me, like it, it's not. My room was. I don't know if I want to get into the story. I don't want my parents to hear it. Um, growing up, it was me and my brother. My brother's older. His room was always blue, and my room was always yellow. And I always wanted to change that color. So I have this disdain for yellow ever since. I just <laughs> like you'll never walk into my house and find a yellow room. I'll never own a yellow house. I just I just don't. I'm not gonna do it. So <laughs> Well yeah, me, you should never paint a room yellow. That I agree with. But a yellow house is cute. I don't know, man. People love painting their house yellow. Anyway, so I prefer to play green. I, I have since tried my best to get better at it, and I'm better now than I was, let's say, four or five years ago. Four or five years ago, like, no, I'm playing green. And now I still, my, that would be my preference is to grab green and play it. And if I don't, if let's say I play red, I am probably going to move the green pieces. That's the problem with having a color. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm going to have to be, whatever, you you do that too. You move other people's pieces sometimes. Yeah, when I you do play it all the time then. Yeah. I'm not any random color. You're such a bull in the china shop when it comes to like <laughs> game boards and stuff. But for me, I'm going to say I... I'd rather play mediocre game. Wow, that's so bizarre. I don't know anybody who cares that much about play, player color. It's never something I put any thought into. You are bizarre. well. I have to pick one, right? And I so you have to either play your least favorite game with your color or your favorite game with somebody. Somebody else. Oh, okay. Somebody else can play my color. I'm cool with that. Because the funny thing is, and my favorite favorite game of all time, uh, doesn't actually have green in it, so I can't play that color anyway. And so. you're okay with it. Yeah, I make it work. Yeah, I have backup <laughs> colors. Wow. I have other preferences. If I can't play green, I got some other I got some other things up my sleeve. Teal. I got teal. No. 
Yeah, so purple. Like I'm like... definitely it if purple's in the game, I'll probably take purple. I think all that's right, my all right. next favorite. question. All right. Who cares about player color? Moving on. Would you rather get to play games frequently but always lose or get to play games rarely but always win? Frequently and always lose. I want to play a lot of games. I don't have a problem losing. I like to win, but I'm going to call I'm going to call bullshit. I don't think I, you have a problem losing. I, what? You you you'd think you don't, but you do. No, 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 I don't think I don't. I try really hard not to. You get such a sourpuss when you lose a game that you that's think you're about true. to win. Yes, you do. That's... Yeah, no. you do. Yes. That's not true. That's not true. You're lying. He's spreading lies about me. Rumors. I don't know. There's. Yes, I think it depends I like on the to game. Win, and, and I will be soured by a game that I do poorly in. That is true. But I would rather play a game and lose than not play at all. I mean, I can learn how to lose. I'll get better at it. Could you though? Do you, is yes. that you can't teach an old dog new tricks? Do you think that's something that you could I pick can up fake now? It. A try. Really <laughs> you already, hard to fake you it. already are. That's the currently that's the current situation we find ourselves in. <laughs> Natasha faking being fine with the fact that she lost a game. <laughs> okay, I'm okay. Here's the thing: I am fine losing. It's not that I care about winning. I just like to always do my best, and when I can't do my best, usually it's because I don't understand. I I'm just not catching on. That bothers me. And that's what bothers me. It's not that I lost. So if I constantly am losing, that's fine. As long as I'm playing games that I uh, still feel like I'm doing well, like I'm doing my best. like I'm, I'm making good choices and doing w- well in the game, even if I'm not winning. Hmm. Okay. I guess we'll give that to you. What about you? Uh, see, this game is diff- this question is difficult because... Mm-hmm. I th- I'm going to pick probably play frequently and lose all the time. Mm-hmm. But I, th- if I constantly, constantly lost every single game I ever played, I don't know if I would continue playing games, you yeah. know, and partly because I don't necessarily care if I lose. I don't, but I always talk about, I want to be competitive. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, I also don't want to win every single game because that's not fun either. Winning mm-hmm. every time you play, sit down and play a game, I don't think is fun. I think there's specific games. For example, you know, we've often talked and referenced Chris is very good at very specific games mm-hmm. and playing those games and losing to him and then finally getting, getting a play in and you win feels so much more satisfying than beating him every single time. Yeah, for sure. Yes. But to lose every single game over and over and over and over again, that would be, I think that would be difficult too. Even getting, let's say, one win randomly every now and again, I think would be good. But if I had to pick one or the other, I'm going to pick playing frequently and lose than winning every single time. I don't want to win every time. I just don't. I don't think that would be fun. Mm-hmm. You're right, though. I mean, I that's what sucks about being new and not very good at games, too, is like you're always losing. And it's kind of a crappy feeling. Would you rather play with somebody who was really good and at your level, so super competitive, but they had a, uh, they were super annoying to play with, right? Like they were obnoxious. Or uh-huh. would you rather play with somebody who was kind, but you always destroy them in the game? Oh, geez. I don't even know. Um, and I say like annoying, I'll say like rude, like maybe arrogant and rude, not like just annoying i can handle people that are annoying that's fine rude though but like rude like like maybe like a sore loser or 
or a sore winner, you know, something like that. That's tough. Because the thing is, if if somebody's really nice and you're playing them and you're constantly beating them, it just doesn't, like I just said, it does not feel good. I think I'd rather play with the obnoxious person. I think so too. Yeah, I think so too. Because when you do like, if they're being super obnoxious, but then you win, like, oh, yeah. I think I would have fun with an obnoxious person because I like to be obnoxious. The only reason I'm not as obnoxious as I am is because of the social etiquette. But like I am, retri- you know, holding it all in like I would love to be an obnoxious person. So I wouldn't mind. <laughs> so this is you holding the when we play games, that's you holding it in. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just let the regular Natasha be free. Just let the no, people wouldn't let, like me. <laughs> I want to really know what it's like now. Like I want to, I want to know what the real Natasha is. We've been, we've had this false Natasha playing games with us for these years, and we did. I'm probably the most like myself with you because, because it, we're you know we're there now. We're we're that close, but like yeah. But I <laughs> typically try to retain it. In like I try to be happy that I lost and, and I try not to gloat when I win. But th- that all is effort. Like that is all me, me trying to be socially conscious so people will like me. There's been plenty of times where you've beat me at a game and you've let me know how satisfying it was beating me at that specific game. Yeah, that's because yeah. we're such good friends already. Yeah. <laughs> uh, God, it sucks. But I wouldn't, gonna... I wouldn't say that to everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I'm just one of the lucky ones. Huh? All right, cool. Yeah. Oh, geez. It's like what you said. Like, this is this is how you know we're good friends when you can come over to my house and I don't clean anymore. That's your, like, <laughs> definition of, like, we've crossed that line into good friends. My definition is, like, I am more truthful and more <laughs> obnoxious. <laughs> As we play games? Yeah. So what, happens, so what happens if it's, like, you, me, and, like, two new people? Then what do you do? Do you ring it back in again? I have to bring it back in. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I can't like, if I, if I beat you, but I also beat those other two, I can't be like, ha ha Bob, I beat you. And not them. Like, that's not okay. Like that would be weird. So yeah, I just ring it back in. Like, Oh, good job guys. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, I did a couple things right. And you know, it just kind of worked out in my favor, you know, be, be my friend. I'm Natasha. And then I'm over yeah. here like grumpy face because I just, <laughs> apparently like I can't hold that stuff in. <laughs> There's only been one time that I I got frustrated with you when it came to gaming. And I think that was when I think we were playing Ankh and you were like, Bob is not winning. And you commit, you got the whole table against me and there was (laughs) nothing I could do. It was four players against me and it just sucked so badly that I just, and I got so frustrated. I'm like, why are you so you didn't even the, the thing is it wasn't even that you <laughs> wanted to win you did not care if you won it did not matter to you all that mattered was bob would not win and it was only because i had won the last like two or three games of it yeah. and that was it like yeah. you're you're over me that, winning it wasn't that i didn't want you to win i just needed to do better than you i didn't have to win but i had to do better than you and i had it I sacrificed so that you didn't win and I didn't win the game, but you were behind me. You didn't yeah. win. Well, yeah. You ca- I, I felt the boots of everyone mm-hmm. holding me down. Let's just, it was brutal. It was, uh, 
such an awful I, experience. I, I, and I try to take I don't it with think anybody else took it out on you. I think it was really just me and Matt. Uh, I don't know. You you commissioned that table. If you if there was a decision that could be swayed in against me, you made sure that decision got swayed against me. Is <laughs> is how it felt. It was still. I mean, it was whatever. I t- I tried to take it in as much stride as I possibly could, and I, for the most part, this, this is you like I, trying really. Yeah, hard. this is yeah. I mean, clearly I remember it, and clearly I was affected about it. But <laughs> it uh, I wanted so bad to do well in that game too, and I just couldn't because I just any time I would try to like do anything, I got held back and just ah, uh, it was so brutal, so brutal. <laughs> Ugh, that was the worst. What's that? We need to play that one again. Yeah, we do. I need redemption because that might have been the last time we played too. Yeah, I think was, it was the game was the infamous game of Natasha being mean to me. Oh, he deserves it. I I disagree. Okay, here we go. Would you rather show up to a game night and then figure out what you're what you want to play, or show up already having decided what to play? Already having decided, it's great. Because we literally spend, sometimes we'll spend 20 minutes trying to figure out what to play. And if we can't really decide anything, we end up playing these like short little quick games, which is fun. Those are always a good time. But yeah, it's really, really nice to go in knowing what you're going to play. But that's not always possible. So I think that's my preference, too, is to go in with a plan. For example, I already know the game I'm playing. One of the games I'm playing this upcoming game night, I've already we, it's already worked out. I already we've already talked about it. It's it's set in stone. As soon as we get there, this is the game we're playing. And it just feels good knowing that I'm going to play this game on game night. Mm-hmm. What's nice too is that when you plan a set of games, then and you're not on deck to teach anything, you don't have to just randomly know a game to teach. Yeah. You don't have to bring your you don't have to bring your big bag either and then not end up taking any of those games out and bring it back home with you. I think that's the worst is when you bring a bunch of games to game night and it just doesn't work out and you just brought lugged all these games for no reason whatsoever. It's the <laughs> worst. Plus, you can refresh on the rules if you're going to be the one teaching it. Way better. Plan it out if you can. I will say, since we've started this podcast, we are we tend to more have games already lined up that we're going to play as opposed to just randomly showing up and playing whatever it is we're going to play. And partly mm-hmm. because, you know, there might be specific games we want to talk about. I know there's been Natasha will play a game and say, Hey, I want to talk about it on the podcast. So then mm-hmm. that following Wednesday or, you know, whenever I'll sit down and play, we'll, I'll say, okay, I need to make sure I get this game played mm-hmm. so I can talk about it. Yeah, or you and I want to play one together, and so we know we've got each other. Even if we don't have the other opponents on board yet, we show up and set it up, and then we can always get one or two more people to play, or or not. We play it two-player, and that's fine, too. But yeah, it is nice to have that kind of planned out. It makes the the night go a little quicker, and you get going faster. That said, there there is something nice about just showing up, and then this past, for example, this past game night, you know, I had been on vacation, uh, and this was kind of my first... Uh, game night back and I didn't bring any games because I didn't have an opportunity to read anything I wasn't I didn't know what was going to happen and it was kind of nice to just show up and say all right you know let's play this game all right cool we're gonna play this game sounds good Mm -hmm. as opposed to you know having everything planned out and just going into it and the thing is what I've also noticed too with planning stuff out is you start excluding people 
Yeah. So that that's the bummer is you and I will have a game planned and let's say we'll have a couple other people and somebody else shows up and we're like, well, we planned on playing this game with these people. Yeah, I don't like that, excluding people, yeah. Which is the worst part about that. I think that's mm-hmm. the that's the worst part. But personally, yes, I would much rather have games set up, you know, when I host a weekend gaming thing at my house. Generally speaking, all the games are planned. We're going to play mm-hmm. these three games. How, when we're going to play them, in what order, I don't know. But usually what I'll do is I'll pick a game and I'll have everyone else pick a game and I'll have my game set up. So it's one less thing we have to worry about. You don't have to get there and set up the game. It's already ready to play. Yeah, and you can do that when you know how many people are going to be there. Game night, setting up a game works well if you have a larger group. But if you have a game group that you might vary from like, you know, five to ten people, then you're kind of in that weird situation where if only five people are there and you set up a four-player game, you know, you we could split two and three and that's fine but it does kind of make it a little bit more difficult but yeah yeah all right would you rather buy a game with the pieces already organized or a game you punch and organize yourself pieces already organized i do i don't mind punching games i think it's kind of fun but i don't need to do it so uh, yes if it's already organized that would be great i like it when they're already i mean you always have to take them out of the bags and like rebag them It'd be nice if they're already pre-bagged. I don't like um, trays, though, that have, like, organized pieces. I don't like those. I like everything in baggies. See, I I would much rather punch and organize a game myself. I love punching games. Do you? Oh, yeah. It's something soothing about it for me. I just, <laughs> for whatever reason, I just enjoy it. And I also like being able to bag it how I want to bag it. So what what I've learned from... I think Jeremy is the first person I saw do this, but what he'll do is he'll bag all the components and all your starting stuff into a thing. So you just give a person a bag. They're going to have all their player pieces. They're going to have their set of cards and they're going to have any sort of starting resources that you might get. So you just give Mm -hmm. them this and you don't have to divvy it out later. It's just already all set up. And I love doing that Mm -hmm. because of that. I'm definitely going to organize my games myself and punch them. Yeah. I, I agree. I love setting the games up like that. The first game would be fine because I don't actually know how to play yet. But the the second game, I would like doing that. I think that it's just nice to pass those out to everybody. Um, but I don't like organizing games. I don't mind punching them, but I don't like sorting out pieces. Well, some of my games are all in one big baggie. Well, I tried doing that with one of your games, and I got I got scolded pretty good by the other people at the table. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the- they were- Oh man! But I was like throwing all the pieces in the box, and everybody at the table was like, oh. and I was like, I don't care. I don't think you can do it. I don't think you can actually complete this. Go ahead, put the lid on the box, and nobody could. You could do it. So- it wasn't me. I was fine with it. It wasn't my game. It was your game. Oh man! So we played. Uh, uh what is the what is Get the yellow? Get on board. So you know, let's make a bus route, but the as the London and New York map or whatever, it's printed by yellow. yellow and so we wrap up and we start like bagging stuff. And somebody's just like, Hey, how do you want this bagged? And Natasha goes, Oh, I don't care. And I go, Oh, this is Natasha's game. And everyone's (laughs) like, yeah. Cause they're like three people brought that game. Yeah. So I go, Oh, okay. So I just grab my pieces and I start throwing them in the box. (laughs) 
and Natasha's like, that's fine. I don't care. And I grab the, because the player, the, the main board, you're putting down these little wooden uh, sticks to do your route. So I just took the board, folded it, and dumped them all into the box and folded <laughs> up the box and started setting it on top. And like Natasha's like, I, you, I bet you won't. I bet you won't do that. And I'm like, I'm good with that. It's not my game. But then Jeremy's like, I can't. I can't let you do this. I can't <laughs> let this happen. Oh my god! I wish that you would have just let that happen. Oh, board uh, gamers are so funny. Yeah, oh, some of the things so drive people nuts. I went through. Um, you, I don't know if you've ever, you know you haven't played this game. I need to have you play it. It's one of my favorite games. Castles of Mad King Ludwig. It comes with this ridiculous amount of pieces, and they're all shaped differently, so they all need to be sorted. So I was like, oh, I'll do that styrofoam thing where I cut out the styrofoam and do a custom organization. So I did all that. Actually, my friend helped me. She's really good at that stuff. And I, I got all the pieces in there. Did. Yeah, no, it wasn't me. But then you tip it on its side and it all it just ends up being a big pain. So when I went to play it last time, I literally took the whole organizer, the whole box, and I just dumped it on the table. And everybody at the table was like, oh, why would you do that? And I was like, it was all messed up anyways. It doesn't matter. And it ended up being a big pain in the butt. I don't like it. I'd rather just have them all in baggies. But I didn't have them in baggies either. I literally had all the pieces in the box. Like all in the big box. One box of pieces. It does make me happy that I wasn't the like only one or other people were freaking out over the fact that I had done that. So it does make me feel justified in my belief that things should be organized within that. That's You, you know, you talked about inserts and not liking inserts. Mm-hmm. I'm I scrutinize inserts quite a bit. So you, if you're gonna have an insert, it needs to be a really good insert. And there are times where there's really good inserts that I use, and there's other times where the insert is just crappy enough that I get rid of. And the mm-hmm. one of the main examples I can think of this is Century Golem Edition. That insert, you know, you fit the trays in there, and then you have the spot for the cards. Well, yeah. the cards not being sleeved. Sitting in there is just tall enough where the first like four or five cards slide off because they don't recess all the way in. I got rid of it. It did like it it pissed me <laughs> off so much that it wasn't they just needed to make it a little bit taller for those cards I, and they did not do it. I don't mind that insert. I I used that one. I kept that one. Because a little trace fit in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that I, I just put in a, like I put in a Ziploc bag. Like rubber band them so they just kind of sit but yeah no couldn't do it i'm like you gotta be kidding me <laughs> it just take that little bit of extra effort you know that's all you gotta do that's all you gotta do is put a little extra effort and you'll be fine unbelievable <laughs> all right all right would you rather have a box that is too small like just slightly too small you can't quite close it all the way or a box that is too big you got all this empty space in the box and maybe we should answer this next week when we talk about box sizes Ooh, teaser. Yes. Yes. I All like right. it. That's next week's episode. That's our show for this week. Thanks for listening to our shenanigans. Join us next week where we're going to talk about box sizes. Please leave us a review and check us out on Instagram or Facebook. Send us your questions to boardgameshenanigans at gmail.com. Thanks, everybody. See you next week. <laughs> <laughs>